0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Summer School Electronics. Summer School Electronics is a pedal company from Syracuse, New York, making incredible stuff. There are a few summer school devices knocking around the shred shed, and I can tell you from personal experience, they sound great, they hold up, and Mark is a super cool dude. The first pedal i saw from them was the science fair which is a parallel classic drive and distortion and now they've released a new parallel concept called the class reunion the class reunion takes a 90s muff style circuit and combines it with their trash panda which is like a soft clipping high gain amp in a box style circuit and it is a super super versatile combination with all kinds of clipping options parallel blending it's really, really rad, a really cool idea, and I think you should check it out. So go over to summerschoolelectronics.com. That's summerschoolelectronics.com and check them out today. What is up good people? As I record this, I have just returned from NAM. I'm literally recording this intro like 30 minutes before I dropped the episode I got back in town yesterday. We had a great show at the Stringjoy booth. If you came by and said hi, thank you so much. That really meant a lot. There were a ton of Tone Mob listeners and Chasing Tone listeners that stopped by and said hi. Thanks for the show, et cetera. And I really, really appreciated that very, very much. It was really, really cool to meet you all. Additionally, there were a lot of people that I didn't get to talk to, some of whom passed by while I was talking to a dealer or something, and we waved and said hello, and I'm sorry we didn't get to spend as much quality time as I would have liked to, uh, both some old friends and some new potential friends that I believe I missed out on. So unfortunately, that's just the way these trade show things go sometimes. There's only so many hours in the day, so that just, that's the way the cookie crumbles. But like I said, Stringjoy had a great show. We made a lot of great contacts. We talked to a lot of new dealers. And we are really, really excited for the future. If you happen to have a favorite dealer in your town that we're not carried in, have them hit us up. That's the way these things tend to work. When the customers are asking for things, that's when the dealers take action. So if you have a favorite dealer in your town that does not carry Stringjoy, have them hit us up. We would love to talk to them. And I think we have pretty solid pitch that's just helpful for the dealer for us and for you guys so please have your favorite dealer hit us up we would very very much appreciate that all right you know somebody else I met at Nam. well actually I met him on this podcast but we met in person at Nam. is Daniel this week's guest Daniel plays guitar in a band called Fit for a King which if you're A fan of metalcore at all, I am sure you have heard of at the very least and probably heard at some point. They're a great band, he's a great dude, and we dive right on into it. So let's get to the episode. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wyland, and with me today, I have Daniel Gailey from Fit for a King. What's going on, dude? Dude, doing well. Uh, thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. Yeah, this is a, this is a good time. Uh, we were talking off the off the air, I guess. It always, always sounds weird to say off the air because this isn't on the air, but you know. <laughs> Yeah. You uh, just got from back from Japan, which is a bucket list place for me as well. And you uh, you mentioned that it was beautiful. You enjoyed Japan.
2: Oh, dude, amazing! Um, just did one show over there. That's um, actually uh, I'm in two bands, so I play in Fit for a King primarily, but uh, I play in another band called Phineas. Mm-hmm. Um, so Phineas went to Japan and um, just did one show. It was a festival out there called Frontline Festival, right outside of Tokyo and um dude it was amazing um show was great but like honestly like the show was like the least cool part of the trip it was just like okay cool we ripped a gig in japan that's amazing but spent a week over there and just got to explore and flew my wife out and stuff so that was like really awesome to get to do yeah
1: yeah we're looking at you know it's kind of sounds weird but you know my Every few years my wife and I were like, Oh, we got we want to do a, a bigger trip, not just, sure. you know, a weekend or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's so I wanna go all over the place. But then that totally got just derailed like everybody else the last few years. Oh, and yeah. now we're sitting here going, like, I think we can actually go places now. Where <laughs> yeah. do we wanna go? And Japan Japan is up there. What what type of things did you do while you were there? A friend of mine's getting ready to go too, so part of this is right. a little bit self serving.
2: So um I I do wish that we had a little bit more time because we really only got to spend time around Tokyo. It would have been really cool to get to see like Osaka and like Kyoto and like all of these other cool places, but you need time and um, you know, it's like you got to take like a bullet train like Mm -hmm. to get to those places and stuff. So really we just hung around in uh, Tokyo, but there's plenty to see so much like amazing food. We tried like crazy, crazy stuff like the, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Crystal Lake, but um, we're good friends with those guys. And they they took us around, showed us around, and we ate like raw horse meat and like Whoa. raw organs and like all <laughs> kinds of crazy <laughs> shit. It was wild. Um, other than that, like we're we're big Disney fans. So we did uh, – they have two Disney parks out there. Um, and then just, yeah, like exploring as much of the city as possible. Um, nice yeah it was a really good time okay let we got to get into this because as much as i
1: love gear i love food even more <laughs> raw horse meat yeah I, man I, I uh i i would try it i'm not i'm not saying i wouldn't but man mm-hmm. that's got to be that's got to be kind of weird for a westerner
2: yeah um well i i told i told some of the people out there i was like i'm especially when i'm traveling i i like to be adventurous i like to do things that i can't do at home and like sure. i'll i'll try anything um so they gave us, like, all these recommendations. And so, yeah, we tried it, and uh, it was it was really good. It was just kind of like, a, if you've ever had, like, Wagyu beef or something mm-hmm. like that, it's, like, pretty similar. Um, it's, like, a little gamey, but um, the flavor was, like, really good. And you mix it with, like, this kind of, like, sweet soy sauce. Okay. And, like, uh, yeah, yeah, put, like, garlic on there and stuff. It was good. The worst thing I had by far was um, was this, like, squid yeah um and i gotta hopefully like camera quality is good enough to show you this but i i took a picture of it just because it looked like it looks scary okay Um, (laughs) here it is so and here we go this whoa what i don't know if it'll yeah it's like you can see like it's like its eyes and like dude it was so bad i i couldn't finish it like i and it just you chew non-stop it never shrinks down like enough <laughs> to swallow so that was that was pretty rough but um yeah all the other stuff that sounds way crazier actually was like really delicious and mm-hmm. definitely would would eat again so yeah
1: yeah the some of the stuff i'm like all in on like a hundred percent oh yeah but but i i did my friend sent me a video he's like would you eat this because i'm kind of like you i'm fairly adventurous too mm-hmm. and it was like a, a living squid like it was still oh, alive and yeah. it's like wriggling around in their mouth and something mm-hmm. like I'm like
2: I, i'll go places but i can't do that I, yeah i i, I draw mm. the line there well i guess it would depend on just like what constitutes eating because like <laughs> i'll I'll, <laughs> I'll like throw something in to just like down the hatch swallow but i no i don't think i could choose something living it'd have to be like glass of water take it like a pill or something you know right but then it's
1: like in there swimming (laughs) around for a little while i don't know that seems yeah Mm. i'd have
2: to have a i'd have have to have a few cold ones i think before uh before doing something like that yeah
1: yeah i might have to have more than a few Mm -hmm. yeah speaking of that like what is the general like you hear all these stories right what is the general culture around alcohol like there sometimes you hear like oh people are just hammered in the street but i don't i don't know what's it like
2: over there I only saw one dude um, the whole time that we were there. That was like, like he was gone. I mean, by the time that we granted, this was like 5. AM, you know, after like late night, like karaoke, like all, you know, the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. This dude was like laid out on the street, like paramedics were like taking him away. Oh no. (laughs) But that was like a rarity. That was, that was the only person that I saw like, Because it is legal to like drink on the street there and everything, but people are so respectful and so like you know proper and everything that it's I I'd say that's got to be pretty rare to have people anyone that's going to be trash like that is probably going to be someone visiting you know (laughs) right it's
1: going to be an American exactly yeah yeah
2: Yeah. (laughs) but yeah it was it was cool though I mean it was uh I'm a big um, beer guy Mm -hmm. and uh, Japan's not really like place like if you're like all into like different types of beer it's mainly just like lagers and pilsners but mm-hmm. like they're good i didn't have anything bad you know yeah
1: so. the, i know yeah i've always i've been into the craft beer thing for quite a while a little less so in the last few years it's got i kind of mm-hmm. got a little bit bored with it but yeah uh that's one thing that japan is known for is like their whiskeys and stuff and so i yeah i i I, when when I first started hearing about that, for some reason, it didn't make sense in my brain. And mm-hmm. then when I really thought about it, it's like, well, of course, they do everything to the nth degree of yeah. perfection over there. At least anything that's difficult, they always try to get it just
2: dialed in. So of course, their whiskeys are going to be phenomenal. And yeah. mm-hmm. and and it, and it was. Um, I, I got to try some and I got to bring some home as well. But like, man, is it strong. <laughs> it, it was like, whoo, like put hair on your chest for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah.
1: Well, that's probably uh, enough with the Japan segment of the podcast, though. <laughs> this is brought to you by the Tourism Board for Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about you. So, obviously, this is a guitar podcast in theory, and uh, we talk about guitars, but when did you start playing and how did
2: that lead to, you know, playing shows in Japan? Sure. Um, So I started playing guitar uh, when I was nine years old. Um, I'm 34 now. I'll let let listeners do the math there. Um, But I've been playing for a long time. And, um, you know, like throughout high school, it's kind of like I've always been into like, um, I I guess like I'd consider, you know, like classic rock kind of stuff. Like started playing guitar because of like Van Halen and stuff like that, Boston, bands like that. High school kind of started getting into like more metal and stuff, and um, you know, played around in some like local bands and whatnot. Uh, and then pretty much right out of high school, I got uh, the opportunity to start touring with a band called Becoming the Archetype. And this would have probably been around like 2009 or something like that. Toured with them for a few years. Um, got to go to like South Africa with those guys. Like just crazy opportunity you know for somebody who was just like kind of just like playing in local bands and uh bedroom before that you know Mm -hmm. um so through them uh met the phineas guys um who i still play shows with occasionally we don't tour as much anymore but um still try to stay somewhat active um still do records every couple years and then it's it's really just kind of been like climbing a ladder like met the met the fit guys through touring with phineas and um yeah like just kind of happened to where they needed somebody and I was just like yeah like I'll I'll do that um so yeah it's been just like a long road of um just touring 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 Mm -hmm. and just you know being at the right place right time meeting the right people so um yeah yeah
1: and has your gear tastes or preferences changed you know with band to band or have you largely stuck to the same stuff (laughs)
2: I am like definitely a a creature of habit. Um, I pretty much always play the same shape, just like I I play ESP guitars. Mm -hmm. um, So I'm pretty much always playing like something with a double cut, like an M or like I've been really into like their snapper models. But um, everything always has to have a Floyd Rose, big Floyd guy. Um, And yeah, I mean, I would say that like more so maybe like the the amp side of things have changed, but it's also largely because like a lot of the things that exist now didn't exist when I I started playing guitar. Um, so a lot of that has changed, but, um, you know, I've, I've been with ESP for a pretty long time now, but growing up, you know, I had some, like, I had like a couple of Ibanez's and, um, you know, I think I had like a a Jackson at one point point, stuff like that. So all like pretty, pretty similar style guitars, um 24 frets gotta have it um and floyd that that, those are really my only two like um like must-haves on a guitar uh (laughs) but but yeah i mean as and as far as amps and stuff it's like we've we've been on uh kempers for like the last several years now but um we're actually moving over to uh quads pretty soon so i'm I'm excited about that Mm -hmm. much smaller more convenient to uh kind of carry around i like i can never take my kemper home because it's just so inconvenient right so it just stays in texas with the with the band stuff you know mm-hmm. what so, do you play at home um mostly just plugins so like i've got like a, a little studio set up and um it's not doesn't look like much right now my wife and i just moved into this house like a few weeks ago so, okay, so kind of gotcha. getting things set up but um i've been uh I play with through a lot of stuff. Like, I mean, lately it's been like a lot of the STL stuff. Love that um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, dude. The, uh, the, the tone hub like stuff is great. Um, and it's just like nice, like quick plug and play, you know, but, um, I do a lot of like mixing and like producing stuff as well. Um, so yeah, I, um, I've gotten pretty good at like making like a, a, a digital, you know, plug in rig sound like the way that I'd like it to sound. So mm-hmm. it, it works.
1: So what, uh, when you were talking about doing, pro- <clears throat> excuse me. excuse me. Whoa.
2: <laughs> Apparently I can't talk he, today. That's great. L- that's how I'd sound after eating that squid, dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude. So
1: when you're talking about doing production and stuff, do you do it there at your home studio or do you
2: do it? You fly to places or what's that usually look like? Uh, both. So, um, I have like a pretty portable rig. Um, so I've, done a bunch of fly out stuff help uh writing songs um and then generally you know i'll i'll mix at home and stuff but as far as engineering and um and and you know producing i can kind of do that really wherever uh, or or people you know have, have come here uh i live in southern california um so you know uh work with a lot of bands like out uh, of the bay area or like along the west coast but um you know i've flown out like to i'm from georgia originally done a lot of work out there done some work in the midwest like i've kind of been all over the states um doing it but, but yeah i mean i i don't prefer one or the other like it's all just kind of like all right like just trying to get some work done like while i'm not touring and uh but yeah it's a, it's fun i enjoy it how did you get into that so that kind of started from uh back when i was first uh you know starting to play in bands and just needing a way to um kind of help write and like see things like more full picture and i actually started with um a software called guitar pro that was that's like a midi oh um, yeah 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 and you can do like full band arrangements on there and it's all midi but like the later versions kind of had like this real sound engineering thing that they added and it still sounded like but I was like, "Oh, it sounds a little <laughs> bit better than MIDI." So that was kind of just like a natural progression into getting to actual, like you know, got kind of an interface, started learning all about that. And um, so, I mean, this has been a pretty long time ago at this point. I'd say fifteen or so years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, just like through trial and error, and just years and years and years of practice, like uh, started getting better and um, more confident with you know. The things that i was trying to achieve and then just kind of started working with bands and um not just my own stuff you know um so yeah it was like just kind of became like a hobby turned like side hustle sort of thing you know mm-hmm.
1: was it weird when bands first started approaching you or did
2: that happen pretty organically i'd say it was pretty organic um you know, I would, I would put stuff out that like my bands like, at the time were doing. And um, through that, it was just like, you know, essentially like free, um, you know, like promotion on just like, yeah, like I mixed, you know, produce these, whatever. And so it's kind of like, you know, you get one in like a certain area and then all of their buddies are going to hear it kind of thing. So like, just like the material itself kind of helps things like that pretty organically. Like I don't, I don't ever really have to post about it or anything. And I, I don't do it full time. So it would be really difficult to take on like a ton of clients, you know, with I, I tour like seven to eight months out of the year. So gnarly. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I've been on the road five out of the last six months, like, and I'm this is like the first time I've been home during all of that. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot.
1: Yeah, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast over the years, but part of the reason, I mean, I never thought I was going to be in the music industry in any capacity whatsoever because my view on it was that you go and you're in a band and then you're touring for five months out of the year and you're living in a Mm -hmm. van and all that. And I knew I was not cut out for that. I I was like there's no way. Like yeah. I hate road trips like mm-hmm. with a, with a deep passion, uh which some people think I'm weird including the rest of my family, but I've never <laughs> liked them. Yeah. Never like like 4 hours is that's about as long as I want to be in a car. I just yeah. really don't like them. Uh but it, I it was kind of a bummer because music is my passion. I love music. I'm obsessed with sound. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of a weird thought process to think Oh, this thing that you love you can never really do to the level that you want to do it. Sure. And unfortunately that's that's just a lot of people's mindset even today even though there's mm-hmm. so many other paths like you could get into production or you could get into you know live sound locally there's like so many avenues for getting into the music industry that aren't being in a touring band that I wish I wish that was talked about more because there's kids like me out there that don't want to tour, but love the stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I I find it very admirable for somebody who can
2: take the abuse of the road like you can. I don't I, yeah, I don't know I, how you do it. I think I owe a lot of that just to like starting really young, to be honest. Like who knows if, you know, like if I were to start now, I'd probably be like, this sucks. Right. You know <laughs> what I mean? But like it's just really it's like, you know, people – who like worked the same job for a long time they're like oh it's like all i really know and like that's that's very true you know what mm-hmm. i mean like i been through like all of my like relationships and stuff it's like that's just like we're used to it like my my wife and i like covid was the longest period of time that we'd ever spent like in the same area together which right. is crazy to think about for most people but yeah i mean that that's just what we're used to. We're both like pretty independent people and and it, it we make it work. And uh, I mean it, it's at the end of the day like I love what I do but it's it's a career, you know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like got to work to make a living. This is kind of my like I didn't like go to college or anything like that. Like I this is uh this is it for right now, you know. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, it's uh you're right. I didn't
1: really think about it in those terms, but I remember all the jobs that I would used to have lots of nights, lots of weekends, lots of, lots of random. I remember working on a boat one evening. It wasn't even evening. It was like two in the morning. And one of my friends mm-hmm. was texting me and I was like, oh, sorry, I got to go. I got to go do whatever with this boat. And he's like, what do you mean with a boat? It's two in the morning. Like, dude, I'm at work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And and he's just like, it was so foreign to him that some, anybody would, he, you know, he thought I was partying or something. I don't know what he thought I was doing. Yeah. But, uh, it was normal to me. Mm-hmm. and normal to, to lots of people. I think the, the world doesn't, doesn't realize how many people work odd shifts and schedules and the nine to five is what everyone talks about. But there are so many people that fall outside of that in all kinds of different jobs.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I, I think it's one of the, I, you either get like one of two things, like whenever, you know, like you're talking about your buddy being like, what the hell do you mean? But like, you know, like I have like some family members who will kind of be like that or are you always get like the, Oh, like you're still trying to do the band thing. And it's just like, (laughs) Oh, like you mean my, my job, like like, I've been doing for like two decades nearly. Like, yeah, I still do that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just funny. Like, but I, I think it's hard for people to understand who, you know, um, just nine to five is like really the only thing that they know. So it's like a very, crazy concept unless you're like in the military that you're just traveling that much for work and Mm -hmm. um, and making money you know like i think that's like the thing that shocks people the most is just you hear all of these um bands talking about how like it's not like a a fruitful career and everything and i just think that a lot of that really just depends on whether you're smart about it or not obviously there's a level of, of success that you need to reach to to be able to um Obtain that, but I mean it's—it's it's just like any other job. Like you take it seriously and you work hard. Like you know, you you're gonna make a living. So,
3: mm-hmm. hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the, Mer- the Mer- Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4800 Hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations and 33 banks? And something along the lines of, The most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X. And all the other fine products at Marist.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, all now right, can I have yeah. my talkie?
1: How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label, but these days you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services, and it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. And I think it really depends. That's not to make it sound like it's. Uh, it's all sunshine and roses or anything. But I think sure. whether you can, everybody's, uh, how, how should I say this? Everybody's viewpoint on what success looks like is different. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, just the fact that I get to do it and I can do it consistently and full time, like this is my job. Wow. Yeah. That's like to me, I'm like, cool. One, check that off. Like that's success to me. To yeah. some people, they might go, like, man, that guy doesn't make it, hardly any money, mm-hmm. you know. To me, but I'm comfortable and I'm fine. It it really just depends on your viewpoint, I suppose. Some people they totally maybe they're looking at it like, oh, we don't make as much money as Gene Simmons, so therefore there's no money in it, even though they, you know, they <laughs> yeah. might make six figures or something. Who knows? Totally,
2: yeah, man. And it's like you you never know what can happen with things like that. I mean, you know, I ate I ate for a long time, a long, long time, and would oh, yeah. be gone. you know the same amount of time just be like you know like i I brought like eight hundred dollars home it's like (laughs) it's not i i don't think that i would be doing this anymore if that were still the case like i'm sure you know like as you get older it's like things like that as much as you may not want them to like start to matter whenever it's just like even if it started as kind of like a passion project like when i started i was just like dude like i don't i don't really care like you know this is amazing i'm getting to go out and do what i love which all is still true it's just like i don't know that i could i could do it if i you know wasn't able to like provide um so not to get into like a whole like financial (laughs) aspect of like touring like super quickly but um, it's worth talking about though
1: i think i think pulling back that curtain and letting people know what really goes on and what it really takes because that's the thing is almost everybody i know that has went from the ground up whether that's in business or in a band or in any pursuit where they kind of started from zero mm-hmm. or close to zero it's the, the story's always the same it's like oh yeah we didn't make any money for like five plus years yeah mm-hmm. and i think some people will hear that and go How do you not make any money? Did you have a rich daddy? You know, like you you have to make money. And I think people get that distorted. It's like, okay, we didn't make any money as the band or as the company or whatever. So I had to then also work all these other jobs to support myself is what that typically means. And I think that gets a little bit lost in, in the shuffle. So when you say you weren't doing well for a while, I don't imagine you were 110% relying on the band, even though you were putting 110% of your effort into those projects. Right. Yeah.
2: It it was, it was difficult though, because like whatever you do tour that much, unless you're just like extremely lucky, um, it's really hard to hold like a job that will continue to let you leave that often. So mm-hmm. for, you know, so many years it would be like, get home from a tour, find a new job, you know, leave for the next tour, have to quit that job, like come back, find something else. You know what I mean? Like, but you can't, like I, I did, you know, I was lucky. I'd say throughout most of like my late twenties touring, um, I was working at a sandwich shop in Atlanta and my boss was like super cool. And was just like, yeah, like, just let me know, like, a week before you come back, I'll put you back on the schedule. And like, that was like, amazing, because then I didn't have as much to worry about, you know, I was still working in between tours. um, But it was a little bit more obtainable to just be like, okay, like, I can pay my rent, because I'm able to like, work this other job. But I think whenever people do try to make like a band, like their primary focus, it's like, you kind of got to just like, be honest with yourself and be like, hey, like, if you're not making any money you should probably like try to like do something else on top of all of that like mm-hmm. to survive you know um so yeah i mean it's it's a it's a hard lifestyle it's it's been a long road but uh, you know if uh, the right amount of uh, there's like definitely some luck involved but like talent and success like you can you can definitely make like just being in a full-time band like your career like if all of the elements are there Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and that and putting that work in and being willing to do that you -hmm. know you were saying just you just said how lucky you were to have a job at a sandwich shop a lot of people wouldn't view that as a lucky situation you know it's a it's a it's about the attitude and how you how you go about the grind and that's not to like say like Everyone needs to work 247, 365 all the time. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to do something as difficult as be in a band, which millions of people want to do, yeah, <laughs> only a few get to. And the primary outlier there is how much you're willing to sacrifice and work to to make it happen. And I think that is becoming more and more apparent. Some people still have a, a view of it that I think is inaccurate. Like like you said, family saying. Uh, oh, you're still trying to do the band thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get yep. the, uh, oh, and you you make a living off of that, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I'm
1: like, yeah, yes, I do. And I know mm-hmm. they're not trying to be insulting when they say that. It's more of a
2: genuine surprised reaction. But yeah, you know, they also kind of don't believe you <laughs> like, or else <laughs> they wouldn't ask. You know what I mean? It's just like, come on, dude. Like, I, I don't know. I just think that that's a very like... Typically, like, older people will ask me that and don't, you know, really understand, like, the ways that, like, the internet have, have moved and, like, that you can, I mean, you can do a crazy things from your home and make, like, loads of money just because of, like, how m- much things have progressed, like, in the last decade. I you mean, know?
1: just, pre- just, just b- before COVID, I still had to explain to every single person that came on this show how we were going to record. Now, granted, I'm using a different software now, but... Nobody knew how to do it. In 2015, yeah. when I started, they were like, well, how are we going to record? I'm like, okay, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and blah, blah. Here's a Zoom call. Here's a, what, you know, mm-hmm. really had to hand, or oh, hold people's hand. Oh, and yeah. now it's just like, hey, here's what we're doing. And everyone's like, okay. There's no
2: yeah. <laughs> question about it. Because <laughs> every, every band dude ever streamed on Twitch during COVID because that was the only thing you could do to make any money. <laughs> so now everybody's like, Myself included, I've got like this camera set up and like, you know, you know, but yeah, it's funny how, how kind of time changes things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sorry, I kind of interrupted your, your train of thought there. No, no, it's, it's totally fine. That's, that's a really funny point that after COVID, I'm sure everyone was just like, oh yeah, sure. Like, yep. Be there at 11, you know, no, (laughs) no setup time or anything. That's, that's funny. Yep. Yep. Yep.
1: But yeah, it's, it is kind of funny that people still. Even with all that, and everybody knows things have changed. Everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket, you know, no mm-hmm. matter what age they are practically. Mm-hmm. And even the, still, people are like, so you can, you can make a living doing that, huh? You know, I'm sure people would hear like Fitz music like, and be like, wow, people like that screaming stuff, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's, it's been a thing for like 45 years now or however long hardcore stuff's been around. Mm-hmm. Maybe longer and people still don't fully realize how many different options there are in this day and age which is kind of fascinating to me as somebody who's obsessed with different options
2: yeah definitely and I, another thing after covid i feel like uh, predominantly heavy music is um is bigger than ever right now yeah. you see all of these different tours selling out and like doing so well and um it's really cool to see man like it is um I don't know if it was just, you know, a lot of people release really great music or if after, you know, spending two years in like solitary confinement, essentially, (laughs) in some states that people are just like, we miss this so much. We're not going to take this for granted anymore. But like it it really is amazing to see um, how like well, like everything is going like in the heavy music world.
1: It's really cool. I, d- I wanted to ask you about that. I've brought this up on a few episodes lately. The one that really shook my brain and made me realize that it's having a real moment is how explosive Lorna Shore's growth has been. Mm-hmm. Because if you hear that band, and, you, and you're not familiar with this scene at all, you you might be scared. Like They're yeah. they a very extreme band by pretty much any measure. And the fact that they have almost pop levels of success is mind blowing to 14 year old me whose parents were concerned that I was listening to unearth, you know, like, (laughs) Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you think it was COVID? Do you think it's just more people realize that lots of people listen to this or it became more socially acceptable? What, what do you attribute
2: it to as somebody that's in it? I think that it's a few things. I I do believe that the COVID thing is, is a thing. I, I think that a lot of people were just like, you know, we gotta go to shows like we you know, we miss this so much. I, I think that there is a level of that. But I've also seen, you know, there there's a lot of bands like that who have been just like doing extremely well. So I think there's been like a big like resurgence of like death metal and death core. Mm-hmm. Um like that is has been really cool. I mean, you know, like bands like Shadow of Intent, like um Lorna, like there there's like a, a bunch of new bands who like are insane that you know the, the last bands that were really doing things like that are like i, I put it into like categories of like you know older bands now you got all these like up-and-comers but you know it's like you got things like the, the black Dahlia murder and mm-hmm. like uh, suicide silence bands like that now you've got all of like these these like young bucks who are coming in and they're <laughs> it's like they're even crazier like so I think the music has just gotten even more extreme, and um, yeah, there's just like a, a a big popularity around that that style that we that we've seen, and it, it it is crazy to see a band like Lorna Shore do as well as they have. Uh, and I think that the internet is another um, factor because there's so many more like viral moments now that can help so many things i mean this is like a little bit of a different example but um you know like uh tick for example um i don't use it i don't even really like i've seen videos but that's the first thing that in my lifetime that someone's been like hey this is a thing now and i'm like oh i'm getting old i don't understand this you know <laughs> yes yes but it has been crazy to see, you know, like, to the hellfire, like, all the crazy, like, pig noises, like, kind of popped off on there, and then boom, like, big band. Like, we just did a tour with um, with Pierce the Veil, mm-hmm. and a song that's freaking 10 years old, like, explodes on TikTok, and now you've got all these, like, 14-year-old kids, like obsessed with Pierce Savale and it's like this song was written like before you were born dude right. like you know so like I, I think that that's a huge factor as well Um that, that there's just so many tools to like put these things directly in people's like hands and ears you know whatever like it's it's pretty wild mm-hmm. I I can I can make an argument both
1: ways but in my view for your average person who wants to do music for a living. I don't think there's ever been a better time to try to do stuff. Now, is it crowded? Is there a lot of noise to cut through? Is it difficult? Yeah, but it's always been difficult. Mm-hmm. Back in the seventies, you didn't make a video, put it on TikTok, and have anybody see it. You got in a van and toured around the country constantly playing every single dive bar that you possibly could in hopes that one or two people might think it was cool And buy buy a vinyl if you could afford to go record one, which most people couldn't, Mm -hmm. you know. And now we we can record really great sounding music in our houses yeah, (laughs) and publish it for anyone to find. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, To me, like some people say there's like a quality quantity thing going on. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of good stuff out there
2: and, and it's never been better to a better time to get started what do you think about that i would agree um it definitely is oversaturated and always has been but you're right like using the internet as a tool um is a great thing i mean i can remember in my first touring band having to mail out like flyers for like that like the show in that area like a couple weeks before the show you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that we could put them up and coffee shops and record stores and stuff like that. So people would even know about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like things like MySpace like existed. Um, but I mean, you know, it wasn't like, we, it was just like, we were doing things in like the old school way. And then, you know, you see things like Spotify being born and a lot of bands that were touring back then couldn't really figure out how to like move with the changes. Mm -hmm. So like you had all of these like new bands kind of coming up with like these younger kids, like that, that band that I was in, like I was the youngest guy in that band by like several years. So, you know, they were dudes who had been doing it, you know, since like late nineties, early two thousands kind of thing. And, um, yeah, it was like really hard for them to figure out like how to like move with the changes. But, (laughs) but I, but I agree with you. I think now that like, Dude, like technology is such a crazy thing, and and it truly is. Like you can, you can get it in anybody's hands that you want um, with like the click of a few buttons, you know. But mm-hmm. that being said, it's even more oversaturated now than ever. So it's you know your chances of like success are still pretty low. I would I would say unless it's just it hits and it's all of those elements that we were talking about earlier are there, mm-hmm. you know.
1: i think the chances of success have always been low Mm -hmm. you know that i just i i always have thought that it was you know as much as people want to talk about the glory days when you can make money off record sales and all that only a handful a small tiny handful of bands actually made money off of record sales even then yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) most of that went, went to the labels and the deals and all that stuff so few people made any real money off of records, even when you could quote unquote make money off of records. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like the game's always been kind of, I don't want to say rigged against the artist because it's, that's not entirely true, but it's always been hard. And the only difference now is that it's a, just a different kind of hard. I think it yep. is, is the way, mm-hmm. the way I view it, but it's, um, it's cool though. Cause I get to do things like this. And talk to yeah. people like you that uh, that this didn't exist
2: before the internet. So for all of its bad points, I, I got to <laughs> give the internet some credit. <laughs> the internet's pretty cool, man. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, it's definitely made the the world that we're in um, a more entertaining. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, b just like you know what's going on, like things that you you know may have struggled to find out about like mm-hmm. back in the day. It's just like, oh, there it is. So scrolling through Instagram. Like now I know that so and so is gonna be here in like a couple weeks. You mm-hmm. know, like it's pretty cool. It is. It's very cool. I just had a weird
1: flashback. I remember you remember PureVolume.com. You remember oh, yeah. what was that? So definitely I, my band had a couple songs on there. And I forgot that I used to do this and this is the hackiest thing. But I, I had that pure volume page posted and I would make random accounts on Yahoo Answers. Okay. And I would ask because Yahoo Answers <clears throat> was primarily just like, uh, what's the word? Um, it was not. It wasn't really algorithmic. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would. It was time based. Basically, it would pop up. Okay. Whatever was newest would would pop up or pop up first. So I put in the like, "Hey, what do you guys think about this band?" And hit it. And just to see, like, 20 people go and, like, listen to listen to the band. It was kind of a weird hack just to get people's feedback. Yeah. And people started catching on, of course. Some people were like, stop pushing people to your band page, you know. <laughs> but largely, people would go and listen and, and leave feedback. And I remember thinking how crazy that was at the time. Yeah. And now that's just on steroids. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, that's, that's the grind, baby. Like, you got to, like... Do whatever you can to get like your music in people's ears, dude. Like it's it's always been that way. So,
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, it's a it's a tough thing. It, but you got to think back to like how did
1: you find your favorite bands? Totally, it wasn't Just, by accident. Yeah, so somebody had to push that to you at some point somehow, whether it was your friend mm-hmm. or whatever. But all of your favorite bands came from some sort of guerrilla marketing at some point. Oh yeah, definitely. So, so who in yeah who inspires you these days? Who do you look up to? Like when you're, when you're just trying to write or trying to get some inspiration, who are you putting on and listening to right now?
3: Man,
2: I, um, that's a good question. Cause I, I used to like, listen to like a whole lot of like influences, like, um, to kind of get in the mood for like writing and everything. Um, but nowadays, I, I I listen to, like, a lot of, like, um, almost, like, a lot of, like, top 40 and stuff like that, more so for, like, song structure ideas and mm. things like that, as opposed to, like, getting in a, like, I've been writing metalcore for 20 years. Like, I know how it works, <laughs> you know? Like, I know how to, like, make riffs and stuff. But for me, more so, it's about, like, just, like, structure of a song and just, like, actually, like big picture as opposed to just like oh like these little parts like are all like so cool I still like all of that but I found that um the most successful songs are always going to be songs that are just like just good songs you know what I mean you could have the coolest riff in like the song and it would be like oh yeah it's cool riff but like if you got a good song then that's what's really going to catch people's attention so it's difficult to answer. I I definitely like still have like all of my like big influences. I mean, you know, like you were mentioning like bands like Unearth, like Lay Dying, um, really anything that sounds like O five Metalcore. Yeah, like that's like my <laughs> my thing for sure. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, you know, I I still listen to to metal like at times. I listen to a lot of pop punk now. My wife and I are really into pop punk. Um. But really, just like anything that's like that I it could be any genre, anything that I just think is like a well-written song is Mm -hmm. kind of like what inspires me nowadays. I I think that's become
1: it sounds kind of weird to say. I don't know if this is because of the Internet or if people just got tired of being pigeonholed, but that's become more acceptable in Mm -hmm. niche scenes to say that you listen to a lot of other things. I remember back in when I was growing up, we're the same age. If you were into punk, you didn't talk about what Britney Spears song you liked. You know that wasn't cool. Now it's not really cool
2: to just listen to one thing. Yep, it's a very very weird shift. I like it. I like the shift. Same. I always thought that was so whack, dude. That like if you know, it's like like metal if you want to like metal, but like, dude, there are so many other like types of music I, I just think that that comes with like um maturing and stuff you know like when we were kids like everybody's just like you know that, that sh- sucks or this you know we posers bro yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> so it's like
2: and i'm sure that there are you know people our age who may still kind of have that mentality but i just think <laughs> you're doing yourself a disservice if like you're you're missing out on so many other things if you if you're passionate about music as a whole like it's um There's so many great things out there that I don't know why you would want to limit yourself to just one, like, super underground niche genre. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Because you never know what's going to grab your ears. You never know what's going to make you tap your toes and like, oh, I like this. And and we would do the dumbest things, too. Uh, I'm sure you remember all this, but I remember, like, for some reason... It was, if you were a hardcore kid, it was acceptable to listen to Newfound Glory because they came from hardcore. But if you listen to any band that that sounded exactly (laughs) the same as Newfound Glory that didn't come from a hardcore band, all of a sudden it was like, no, 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 no. You can't be doing that. No, I guess H2O, you know, they get a little poppy sometimes, but that's as far as we can go.
2: Uh, Yeah. Just such a
1: dumb mentality. What what area
2: are you from? Uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Like. I was going to say that's definitely like a uh, I feel like that's more of like a coastal thing like any state that's like along the the coasts okay are very uh, I've definitely noticed more so of that like whenever you get very specific about like oh we can listen to newfound glory because they came from hardcore or whatever um I definitely like in Atlanta there there was a lot of a lot of that kind of <laughs> kind of thing happening mm mm-hmm. um but yeah, dude, it's funny. Like who, who, who cares? <laughs> who cares? <laughs> like what you like. Yeah. I I like George Michael. I don't even, not a, one yeah. bit ashamed about it. I love George Michael. That's insane on the air. Like what you want to like, you know, no one should be able to tell you like what's good or what's bad. That's everything is subjective. Like that's for you to decide. Like mm-hmm. clearly a lot of people like George Michael. He's very successful. Like, right. He's <laughs> like on the radio <laughs> all the time, you know? <laughs> So of course, it's not, it's not weird to, to like things like that. Mm-hmm. So. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater,
1: specifically the gear exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there. That's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby cuz let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just a fun new gear purchases and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lotsing. Lossy is a collaboration
2: between Chase Blitz
1: and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're getting it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseblissaudio.com.
2: I think you're going to like what you find.
1: Totally, totally, totally. So... Do you have uh, anything? This is We're getting sort of close-ish to the end of the podcast, and I, I have a, some classic questions I like to dive into with the guests. Cool. But if, before we do that, I like to give the guests a chance to take the floor, say anything they want to say, plug anything they want to plug, shout out anybody
2: they want to shout out. You got a, a few thousand people you're talking to right now. so. We're, I can't like announce anything just yet, but um, we're going to be announcing a summer tour very soon. That's going to be a pretty big like a arena, uh, gig tour. So that'll be very cool. This Sweet. is all with uh, fit for a king. Be on the lookout uh, for that lot more touring coming up this year. I have like the next three months off and I'm very, very excited about that. <laughs> nice. The, like, starting in July, like throughout the rest of the year, like it's going to be just tour 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 uh, once again. So a lot of, a lot of cool tour announcements coming up. Um, it's a, a really big, um, like co-headliner tour that we're doing um, later this year. That's going to be uh, a big one as well. So just keep an eye out, like for for touring. I mean, that's really most of what we're doing. Um, we're going to start writing for a new record in May. Um, those are the plans. That's that's pretty much it. Other than that, I'm just going to be chilling, um, sitting at home, uh, catching up on sleep. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah, you deserve it, man.
1: Well, that sounds very cool. I look forward to seeing that tour announcement. Hopefully, you're coming through the Portland area. That would be sick. We can eat some pizza and hang out or whatever. Would love that. That'd be great. Uh, But yeah, this uh, this has been a really good chat. I really enjoyed hanging out, spending the time. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you again for having me. It's been awesome. Of course. All right. So first of the final questions, uh, and this one usually... I anticipated this one being a little bit harder for people to answer, but most okay. people are pretty on it. All but right. What is
2: your favorite boss pedal? Oh man, that is tough for me. Um, and I'll try not to give too long-winded of an answer here. Go as but long like, as you got. Go for it. I used to every Christmas, like my grandmother would like get me like one, one pedal and I was like a big like boss pedal guy ooh. and I mean this was like from you know age 9 until you know probably like 20 or something so I have so many um, That is awesome. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And it, what's funny is you know like when I was young I would always like just be like ooh like I I want on the flanger the phaser like that I would like never use now, but um, dude, I think that probably the most important one and the really the only one that I still use, uh, I'd have to go with the tuner. The tuner. That's got to yeah. be the most popular response. The TU two. I, I figured it'd e- either be that or like the um, the what is it like the metal the metal zone or the whatever. metal zone um, MT two. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think it's. I think. That tuner seems like it would uh, make sense. I think that's still in a lot of pe- that, it still exists in a lot of people's rigs, I'm sure. So, do you still have all of those pedals that your grandma got you? I I don't have them here. They're all like in, like, at my parents' house in Georgia somewhere. Like, since I don't run a live like rig anymore, um, mm-hmm. all that stuff's just built in. I don't have it, you know, but I should probably <laughs> get those just to like have at the house, mess around with it, it'd be fun. Oh, it's a good time, especially if you're doing
1: production stuff. You bring mm-hmm. them out, reamp things, and you know tweak things yeah. in real time. It'd be it'd be a blast. Yeah. So do you do you have any? Like you said you didn't you don't use like flangers or phasers or anything anymore. But when mm-hmm. you are putting together the rigs, like in the Quad Cortex, do are you using anything that used to be outboard gear for you primarily? Any of those boss pedals or anything like that that you are purposely
2: integrating into the quad? So we haven't gotten the quads yet so i can't comment on that i'll have to like kind of learn how to use all of that once we do get them uh but i can say for the for the kemper have kind of an interesting uh setup i have um i have essentially profiled a um tone i made from like a bunch of like stl amps combined oh interesting and uh it sounds crazy and um I profiled that through the Kemper just so like have something that I could like use for like my own tone. And I've been using that for, for a, a while now and it's served me pretty well. Um, we do like some effects, like nothing, nothing crazy, but there'll be like some time-based stuff. Everything runs off of um, like the Mio cable through MIDI. So like all of our patch changes fire like automatically and everything. Um, but I mean, it's, it's pretty standard. I mean, outside of really just like delay and like reverb and then just like some like pitch stuff, you know, like an octaver, like use a good bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's about it. Like nothing like really like zany or like wacky sounding, <laughs> you know? So so I
1: this is a little bit of a sidebar and we'll get into the, the last question. But how did, how does the, pro, I understand how profiling works with the, you know, like a real quote unquote rig in the room. How do mm-hmm. you do it with STL stuff? Did you have like two computers? Or I'm no, my, um, I don't
2: understand. I'm confused. I'm a it's old man. It's, it's somewhat the same way. Um, just like you have to have like your your lines all set up correctly from like the interface to the to the Kemper. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, like you can have like a. um like a profile like that already exists like on the Kemper that's like kind of close to whatever you're going for. It's got a, if it's like a distorted profile, it needs to be a distorted tone kind sure. of thing. Um, but then you just take all the gating off because Kemper has like its own way of like doing its its gating for mm-hmm. the tone. And then you basically just arm it and you can like play just the same way that you would, you know, profile like with a microphone. Um, but it's, it, it's all like in the manual and everything. and It'll explain how to do it, but um, it's pretty easy. And the results, like, I mean, I can't tell the difference other than Kemper does like a, a special thing. I feel like with, with profiling, especially if it's from like, you know, a, a plugin or something. And the only difference that I can tell is a positive one. It feels like, um, the, uh, the IR that like, I guess Kemper gives it almost makes it feel like there's more movement. It, it feels more like, uh, even more like playing through like an actual amp. Interesting. Um, which is like really crazy, but, um, that's really the, like it, everything sounds the same. It just like the feel of it, like is, uh, is a little bit better. I think after profiling through the Kemper, that's um, very unexpected. Yeah, it's, I, I swear, man, it's got like a magical thing that it does, like with its profiling. I am um, I'm, ec- I'm excited to try that with the quad. I'm sure that they, Neural has been doing like amazing things. So I can only expect that the quad is just going to like blow me away. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's cool. I was always a guy to play out of, you know, amp and cab, like monitors, whole, whole thing and until joining Fit for a King and we're all on in-ears and, you know, we don't have cabs on stage, which every time I get to play a show with a cab, I'm like, oh, I miss this so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I never realized how much I really like the, the feel, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't realize, like, it sounds amazing through the house and everything, but a lot of the guys who are on in-ears, no cabs and stuff, you're on stage and it just kind of feels like you're, you know, I always tell people it's like uh, I, it's like listening to music on an airplane. <laughs> that's yeah. About the volume, you know, like it's not like very exciting. You kind of have to you learn to feed more off of the crowd than like the the feel and like the sound that you're getting from stage. So it's yeah, uh, it was a learning curve for
1: sure. I think that that would really throw me off. I, I've only recently got into more digital stuff and even still like. I don't play it through headphones. I got it blasting through my studio monitors, which Mm -hmm. are pretty sizable and a sub. So it's like a lot closer to how a real amp feels. But like you said, even still, I'll turn around and then plug into my real amps and go like, ha, 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 ha. This is why I started playing. That seems like it would be almost slightly disconnected Going, I love in-ears. I'm a big proponent of in-ears, but going mm-hmm. in-ear only freaks me out a, a
2: little bit. It's it's weird, and it's um, uncovered maybe not so much to the house because I feel like any time things are coming through speakers, it's going to uh, sound and feel a little bit better. But man, when you just got those in-ears in, I mean, you can hear every tiny little mistake, every – like it's – a a cab does a great job of covering up a lot of (laughs) a lot of bullshit that's happening you know what i mean um so that's why i like it yeah same same (laughs) um so it's definitely like kind of checked me a few times as far as like oh you need to clean some of that playing up you know um (laughs) but yeah i mean it's cool it's like i'm the only one that's hearing it in that way so it's like to, to the you know it's I, but I'm also the kind of guy that will beat myself up about like missing like one pinch harmonic, like in a show. You know what I mean? Um, very, very, uh, perfectionist, very like critical of myself. So, right. Um, so yeah, got it. All right, dude, here we go.
1: Final question. This is the one that gets a little bit controversial, a little bit, a little bit dicey. I'm ready. What is your favorite kind of pizza?
2: Hmm. Oh man, that's
1: tough too. I
3: mm.
2: I can see the gears turning in your head right now. I know. I'm mm-hmm. in between two right now and they're not like they're not they're not untraditional, but I wouldn't think that, I don't know, maybe you don't get a lot of these answers. I it's between like a white pizza, like mm-hmm. ricotta cheese, like white white pizza. Yeah, yeah. Or like an alfredo source like alfredo chicken alfredo bacon like some something along those lines would probably be my my go-to's all right
1: you got a favorite pizzeria or a location that first introduced you to the white pies
2: dude um there were like a lot of good local spots um in atlanta that had some cool stuff but i may i do get flack for this but dude honestly like if i'm in the mood for pizza now like i'm going domino's like yeah i i think it's pretty sick to be honest um i'm not like the biggest like there's always also the uh the new york chicago dilemma Mm -hmm. um and i also get flack for this but i'm definitely more of a chicago deep dish kind of guy than the new york thin thin crust Mm -hmm. um so yeah i don't know maybe uh I, I I don't know what kind of answers you normally get, but that's uh, that's where <laughs> I've I stand gotten, with pizza. I've,
1: I've gotten all of the answers at this Word. point. Okay, yeah. that's and good. We're three <laughs> hundred and forty something episodes deep, so yeah, I've gotten pretty much every answer. I think. Nice. Domino's, in my opinion, I got a couple opinions on chain okay. chain pizza <laughs> right. right now. Let's hear in, them. for the generally available. You know, I, I don't for lack of a better term, like McDonald's of pizza. You know, sure. for I I'd say like. Domino's is the Wendy's of mm, pizza. Okay. Like it's, be, it's the best widely available 2 a.m. pizza yep. that's in every town, in every city, everywhere, mm-hmm. consistent. So, and I, I used to not think this, but if, do you remember the ad campaign they did, I want to say maybe 8, 10 years ago, where they were basically like, we heard you our pizza sucks and we're going to
2: change. Once they did that, it did indeed get a lot better. It's, I did not see that, but it is definitely better than I remember it being when I was younger. It um, is better.
1: It hundred yeah. percent is. Cause I rem- remember that ad campaign worked on me. I was like, Domino's does suck. All right, let's go see if they've changed. And they did. It got yeah. a lot better than it, than it was.
2: I mean, Hey, you gotta, you gotta respect it. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't want pizza hut. You get, uh, you get hut, Butt. From that, no one wants that. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Um, Little Caesars is like, it's fine, I guess. It's cheap. It's cheap,
1: um, and I, I think people make the mistake of getting the regular Little Caesars. The trick with Little Caesars is to get the thin crust, because it's, oh, interesting. it's better. It's crispier. Mm. It's it's It feels less cheap, even though it's yep. still the same price. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, well, you you take it out, and it, it, if you blind... Just handed it to somebody and didn't tell them it was little Caesars. I think if you give them the thin crust, they probably
2: wouldn't know it was little Caesars interesting, yeah, it's pretty good. it's hard to beat for five bucks or five yeah I mean dude the, yeah, those little hot and ready's like you um uh, you're getting uh you're getting your money's worth I would say mm-hmm. like it's it's not too bad, but yeah, I don't know I just i think um I'm not a big thin crust guy like if you give me any like um and I'm, I'm going to apologize to the whole Northeast before making this comment. But <laughs> if you give me like any like New York slice, just be like, yeah, it's just kind of tastes like something you'd get at like a like a skate country, like a roller rink or something. I to don't me. know like about I, that. I don't know about just, that. <laughs> that's just I don't know. That's where my brain goes with mm-hmm. with thin crusts. Um Just uh, definitely more of a, a thick, hearty, hearty pizza kind of guy. Do you like a so. Detroit style? Have you gotten into that at all? Um, I don't know that I'm familiar with with the Detroit style. I really just know the Chicago and the New York. I think those are the two that all everyone kind of always will compare. But what's a what's a Detroit style? The so Detroit is like a,
1: kind of a spin on a Sicilian. If you've ever seen that, so okay. it's a, mm-hmm. a thicker crust, usually cooked in a pan. Um, okay, and it's it's my favorite. Ver- I, I no, I should say I like Chicago style pizza. Mm-hmm. But I don't, it's not what I'm craving when I'm like, oh, I'm in the mood for pizza. I'm not thinking sure. about that. I think of that as like a a, a pizza cousin, like a calzone. Mm-hmm. A calzone yeah, okay. is not really a pizza, but it's kind of a pizza-flavored yeah. thing. And that's how I view Chicago deep dish as well. That's fair. Um, that's fair. Um, but the the uh, Detroit style or the Sicilian style, I know they're not the same. Don't come at me, people. Uh, <laughs> they're similar, though. They're, they're, okay. It's going to be like... Roughly about a half inch thick of bread on the bottom okay. of the crust. I could get down with that. Yeah. That sounds good. And, uh, you know, traditional sauce and cheese and meat, like whatever toppings. But the interesting thing about the bread is, you know, sometimes you get the, especially the cheaper, thicker crusts. They're really dense okay. and thick yep. and kind of like, it's like eating like a solid piece of bread. The de- mm-hmm. A good Detroit style has got a little bit of air in it. It's a little lighter. It's not okay. quite as, uh, intense of a chew as say like a Domino's thick crust
2: type gotcha. of thing. I'm, I it's will nice. also say I'm also a crust waster unless it's like mm. cheese filled or something. Um, because when eating pizza, I want all of the, the good contents and I want to eat as much of it as possible. Sure. Um, Very small frame guy, I eat like a bird most of the time, (laughs) so um, yeah, I will say that you know, doing something deep dish is definitely going to be a lot more filling because of just like how much like bread and stuff is going on. But Mm -hmm. I typically will not eat the crust because it's just like, well, no, I only want like the bread with like the good stuff on it. If I wanted just like bread with like some seasoning, then I would just get like gross bread. Or yeah. You know? Right. So, so yeah, that's another, like, I guess, good point to make with my, uh, my pizza uh, endeavors. Mm hmm. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's it. That's worth noting. And I might get s- some hate for this as well. I also will ditch some of the crust sometimes, especially on cheaper pizza mm-hmm. because a similar, like I want all the good stuff, And I I don't necessarily need all like. I guess how how how's a better way to frame this? If I'm going to eat all them carbs, they better be really good. So if I'm going to eat the whole pizza and crust and all, it's usually Mm -hmm. from like a nicer pizza place where the crust is just super delicious. Yeah, like or I cannot get rid of that crust because it's it's part of the whole experience and work of art. Where it's like Domino's, yeah, I'm going to eat like the part that just has the meat and cheese on it. And totally, I don't need helps. like helps 200 less calories to, uh, <laughs> helps
2: to have something to dip too. like if you got like a ranch or a garlic i could i could like garlic that's butter. a little yeah mm-hmm. I, can, I can get down with that yeah or even extra like marinara do something yeah. you know something's gotta have, you can't just be eating bread you know yeah um so yeah. Or it would be good bread if you're going. To <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, thank you
1: so much for hanging out. This was a blast. I really enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed yeah, the uh, the insight and I'm excited to see what we get into on Patreon.
2: Absolutely, man. Let's right
1: do on? it. All right, sounds good. All right, everybody. For Daniel, this is Blake and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, folks, there you have it. Thank you so much for hanging out. Daniel and I had a great time, and we had an even better time over on Patreon. If you would like to support this show, help it keep going, help me personally, Patreon is a perfect place to do that, where for 5 bucks a month, you will get additional episodes like the one I was just describing with Daniel. Yes, there are bonus episodes every week published over on Patreon, and you can get access to those for just five buckaroos. And if you're a person who just isn't super stoked on ads for three bucks a month, you can get the ad free feed. And of course, the $5 level comes with both of those things. So thank you so much to everyone that's done that. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you again to everyone who came by the Stringjoy Nam booth and said hello. That was really, really wonderful. I really, really enjoyed talking to all of you. And thank you for making it this far into this episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and spending any time at all on any of the content that I produce. I really, really appreciate it. Make sure you check out Fit for a King. Go give Daniel a follow on Instagram and all that good stuff. You know what to do. Thank you very much, folks. I will talk to you very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here. I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings, made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is ToneMob.com StringJoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say... Based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch. And I can't say enough good things about Gun as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians or creatives from Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gourley of Portugal, the man to fat Mike from no effects and Ian
0: MacKay from Fugazi and minor threat. We go all over the map from fallout boy to Slayer peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on sound talent media. The helping friendly podcast explores the music and fan experience of fish through interviews and deep dives on shows and tours. For more than 10 years, we've created insightful and fun discussions about our favorite band, and with the help of our guests and thematic series, we're still discovering new angles of appreciation for Fish. And when the band is on tour, we provide a review of every show the following day. As one of our listeners said, any Fish fans that enjoy meandering conversations and incredible insight on new and old Fish shows, this is for you. Highly recommend. It's not just about the band and the shows, it's about the journey getting there. Throughout 2024, we're going to be running down the top 25 fish tours of all time, and that'll be interspersed with show reviews and regular episodes. Join us and check out the Helping Friendly podcast wherever you get your podcasts.